0: If you have a Bible, turn to that passage again in Luke chapter 3 in Hebron, where I'm, I'm pastor in doulais We spent December going through Luke chapter 1, not the whole of the chapter, but just the parts of that chapter concerning uh, the events around the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, so we came across these figures, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Zechariah was a priest. There was nothing uh, unique about that. Uh, one historian Uh, thinks there were about 20,000 priests at that time. Uh, But uh, there he was, he was in the temple and uh, he was confronted by the angel Gabriel who told him that he would have a a child and that child would be called John. So we spent December going through that and then last Sunday I thought a good way to finish off that little series would be to come to Luke chapter 3 and consider what happened next. Uh, When I was growing up, I I still have a sister, I have a sister, and uh, her name is Katie, and I remember there were some books she had on a shelf, I don't know if she ever read them, and I don't know anything about them myself, but they were called What Katie Did, and uh, she was called Katie, so I remember thinking there was something about that, and I remember there was a sequel, and the sequel was What Katie Did Next. And so if you like, as we come to Luke chapter 3, following on from Luke chapter 1, if you're familiar with the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3, we could give that title, What John Did Next, What Happened Next. But the way I looked at it last Sunday, and the way we're going to consider it this morning and this evening, is in this way. My little children's story this morning, here's, here's, here's a revelation for you, I stole it from someone else. Okay, so during lockdown, I discovered these videos. There was some pastor in America and uh, he would make these children's talks and he'd do a children's talk with his daughter. And uh, I used to watch them and I thought these are very good. And so I've borrowed them from time to time. And there's one I borrowed this morning. Uh, but they have a little catchphrase at the beginning of their video. So they're teaching the Bible to children and they say at the start of the video, here are the things that matter most. And so as we consider Luke chapter 3 and what John did next, I want us to do it in that way. Here are things that matter most. And uh, I think I have four this evening and two for you. I know this morning I definitely have two. There are two this morning. So six things that matter most. Now I'm not saying this morning these are the six most important things that matter most for you as a Christian or or for Bethel as a church. Uh, But I'm just saying, here are things in this passage that we could put under that heading. They're in no particular order, or rather, I might say, they're in the order of which we come across them in the passage. But here are things in this passage that matter most, that can come under that heading. Here are really important things. So here's one thing that matters most this morning, the priority of the Word of God. At the end of verse 2, here in Luke chapter 3, we read that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So John was a prophet equipped by the Holy Spirit. That means when he spoke, he spoke the word that God gave to him. He was a prophet like the prophets of the Old Testament who would say, this is what the Lord says. He was equipped by God, by the Holy Spirit, to speak The word of God. And so when he was in the wilderness, when he was preaching, what was happening? God was speaking to his people. Now, what's interesting in Luke chapter 3 is how that little phrase comes at the end of verse 2. So we simply read, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now, Luke is the historian. When people preach from Luke's gospel, they will often point this out to you, that Luke is the meticulous historian historian. Luke sets things in their time and place and so look at the detail he gives in verses 1 and 2. Now these things might not mean much to us but they meant a lot to the people who first read them. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrach of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrach of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. If you want to know when this happened, when was it that John began to preach? It was when those big people were doing their big things. We might say today, or looking back, um, do you remember... Uh, Do you remember when we had snow in the 1980s? It was when Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. Or you might say, this and this happened, such and such happened in the days of Tony Blair. Here here is a way of, of pinpointing when something happened. When did this happen? When did the word of God come to John? It came to John when these important people were doing their important things. And so we might say Luke writes in that way simply to put this event in its time and place but it might also be that John does it i oh sorry Luke writes in this way for this reason Luke writes to tell us what really matters okay here are some important people here are the movers and shakers of this time of this point in history here are the really important people if you were to pick up a newspaper if they had such a thing in the time of John the Baptist, which, which they didn't. But if you were to pick up a newspaper, these are the people you would read about. These are the, the people that matter most. But Luke writes about them, and then at the end of his, his long sentence, he simply gives us this, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. What really matters? What really matters? Is it Tiberius Caesar? Is he the one who really matters? The second emperor of the, the Roman world. He here is the most important person on planet Earth, Tiberius Caesar. Is he, is he the one that matters? No, what really matters is the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. Where was he? He was in the wilderness. Uh, one writer describes the wilderness being... Uh, Referred to here in this way, he writes of the rolling badlands between the hill country of Judea to the west and the Dead Sea and lower Jordan to the east, stretching northward to about the point where the Jabbok flows into the Jordan. It is indeed a desolation, a vast undulating expanse of barren chalky soil covered with pebbles, broken stones and rocks. Here and there, a bit of brushwood appears with snakes crawling underneath. doesn't sound a very pleasant place, does it? It's a desolate place. Where our church is, we're in a, we're in a place called Dowlice. So if you're, if you're from Merthyr Tidville, actually, you don't like to, to say you're from Merthyr if you're from Dowlice. Dowlice is very distinct. Uh, but uh, we're in Dowlice Top. Okay? So you can't even say we're from Dowlice. We're from Dowlice Top, which is distinct from the other part of Dowlice. But Dowlice Top really is a desolation. Okay, it's, it's always raining there. It hasn't stopped raining for the last two weeks, but down I stop, there would have been more rain and it will be more bleak and uh, it will be more of a desolation than anywhere else in the valleys. Uh, but every Sunday, something happens there. The Word of God is opened. And I trust this morning, the preacher there is, is doing uh, what happens every Sunday. The Word of God is being opened god has spoken in his word and that word is being preached and proclaimed uh, there's a wonderful commentary series well it might not all be wonderful you can discuss that afterwards uh, but uh, it's called the bible speaks today what a wonderful title for a commentary series god has spoken but the bible still speaks god continues to speak through his word and therefore in cluduck there is more significance sunday by sunday Midweek meeting by midweek meeting, if you have a ladies Bible study or whatever you have going on, house groups, whatever it might be, wherever a Bible study is taking place, wherever the word of God is being opened, there is more significance in that meeting, whether it be a meeting of of 20 people or 5 people or 3 people or on a great Sunday, 120 people, whatever the context might be. There is more significance where the word of God is being opened than in any place where the word of God is shut. So there is more significance in Cluddock, in Top, than there is in the Senate, than there is in the House of Commons, than there is in the United Nations, wherever they are, in Geneva, in New York, whatever they choose to meet. There is more significance in any place where the Bible is opened than in any place where the Bible is shut now how does that make you feel this morning does that not give to you a sense of anticipation a sense of eagerness that you want to come you want to be in a place where the word of God is being opened where the word of God is being preached where someone stands here and says this is what the Bible says this is what the Lord says in his word this is what the Lord tells us about himself This is what the Lord tells us about his plans and his purpose in his son, Jesus Christ. Are you filled with anticipation, expectation as you come week by week, Sunday by Sunday, that you want to hear what the Lord says in his words? We had children come into our building, into our church building just before Christmas from the primary school just down the street. They use our building for their Christmas concert and uh, so I had to keep turning up and opening the doors and turning the heating on for them as they do their practice and so on. But I think I might be wrong. I think if I stood there and asked them who Tiberius Caesar was, or any of the other people in this list, um, Philip, tetrarch of the region of Vituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, I think if I asked them, put your hands up if you've heard of these people I don't think any hands would have gone up. I don't think many hands would have gone up if I asked them who John the Baptist was, but I reckon I might have got about half of them because John the Baptist's significance has endured. He spoke in the wilderness and uh, people went out to hear him because the word of the Lord came to him. Uh, And these people, by the time Luke was writing, These people, all of these people, without exception, in verses 1 and 2, were either dead, deposed, or had disappeared already into the mists of time. We don't know what happened to some of them, how they died, how their lives ended. They have disappeared. We might say the other people in the list, well, some of these children might have heard of some of them, but only because, Pontius Pilate, only because he he features in the Gospels they've heard of him but only because he is associated with the lord jesus christ there is a, an abiding significance uh, to the word of the lord uh, and therefore is your priority to hear it okay so here's the first thing that matters most uh, does the word of god matter to you if you want to follow the lord jesus christ if you want to be faithful to him in an unbelieving world Um, then you need to be in a place where the word of God is preached. Here is something that keeps you. Uh, The Lord will keep his people. He will encourage his people. He will strengthen his people. But he speaks to them and he deals with them through his word. Is your priority, I'm sure that the priority of the elders of this church, is the word of God. Is your priority as a member of this church, is it the word of God? Uh, To put yourself under it, to hear it preached, to read it as well in your own daily uh, lives, in your daily devotions. To to want to understand what the Word of God is. I should have written it down. I can't remember the exact quote. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said, the Bible is like a tree. And he said, "I I want to shake every branch. Some parts of the Bible are like high branches, aren't they? We might think of parts of the Bible that are difficult and they're hard to reach. We might need to do some hard work and stretching to understand what they mean. And then there are low branches, and uh, we understand it's very plain, it's very clear. Uh, But do you you want to know this Bible? Do you want to know the Word of God? Do you want to shake every branch? Uh, God will keep you by it. So that's number one, one thing that matters most. Number two, what else? comes under this category in this passage of something that matters most. Well, what was the word of God that came to John? We read in verse 3, look at verse 3, he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that was John's message. That was the word of God that came to John. Here is a message for you to proclaim. Say to the people, repent. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now don't misunderstand what John's message was. How can we be right with God? We can be right with God through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. Repentance doesn't justify. What do I mean by that? Repentance doesn't make us right with God. I am a sinner, you are a sinner. God is pure, God is holy. The Bible says his eyes are too pure to approve evil and he cannot look on wickedness with favor. How can I be right with God? I am a sinner, he is clean, he is holy. Well, Paul writes this in Romans 5 verse 1. We have been justified, so we're put right with God by faith. We have peace with God through our lord jesus christ how can you be right with god you're a sinner how can you be right with god it's through faith in jesus christ that's what matters what saves you it is the lord jesus christ what is faith i like the picture of faith being resting in the summer Sometimes on the television or in the cinema, they put a little advert, and it's uh, it's put out by the RNLI, the lifeguards. And it tells you what to do if you find yourself plunged into cold water. And uh, I'm not sure I ever really believe it, but uh, this is what they say. They say, if you're thrown into, into cold water, your instinct, what's your instinct? Throw your arms around, kick your legs about, open your mouth, gasp for air. The little strap line at the end of the advert is fight your instinct. Okay, so it tells you if you start flapping around and panicking, then you get yourself into more trouble. You'll end up swallowing lots of water. It says as you experience that cold water shock, shows this picture from above, stretch out your arms, stretch out your legs, lie on your back, calm yourself down, float on the water, and uh, you've got a A better chance of surviving fight your instincts when you feel your sin you feel that God is clean and you you understand something about yourself that I'm dirty that God knows all about me I can't pretend to be something other than I am I feel full of hypocrisy if people knew what was going through my mind if people knew what was inside me they wouldn't speak to me When you feel like that, your instinct might be, try harder. I need to try harder. I need to prove myself to God uh, that I'm not that bad. Fight your instinct. Instead, what do you do? You rest in what Jesus has done. Jesus has lived a life of perfect righteousness. And he gives it to you. How can you be right with God? By trusting in Jesus, by being in him. I'm in him. That means God considers what he has done to be something that I've done. I I didn't live a life of perfect righteousness. Yes, but God will consider his life as belonging to you. And I might fear the wrath of God. There is a judgment coming for things that I have done in the body. 2 Corinthians 5. I will be judged for the things I have done. Won't I therefore face condemnation? Well Paul says. Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the price has been paid. Every, every so often. All too often. I get letters come through my door. And they're letters that tell me. How much I owe. Okay, So I bought a car. And I took out a loan and I have so many more months to pay and they keep reminding me and uh, you know those letters don't you well one day one wonderful day those letters will stop coming why well I hope this will be the case I'll have paid the price and in that sense they will forget me so the company that gave me the loan they will forget me they'll wipe me off their system why because I don't owe them anything anymore. We don't need to pay the price for our sin anymore in Christ, because the price has been paid. So when God says, I will forgive your iniquities and remember your sins no more, I'll forget them, it's not because our sins don't matter. Rather, it's because the price has been paid. There is condemnation, but Christ has paid the price. And so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that's a long way of saying we're justified in Christ. What's John's message, therefore, about repentance? Whilst it's not repentance that justifies us, that puts us right with God, repentance is nevertheless an element of conversion. Everyone who is truly saved is someone who repents of their sin who turns away from their sin. And it's a lifelong activity. I'm glad repentance doesn't justify me, doesn't put me right with God, because how will I ever know that I've repented enough? Uh, Will I ever experience a perfect repentance? Will there come a point in my life when I have completely turned away from every sin in my life? Well, I don't think any of us can claim that to be the case this morning we are constantly discovering new things about ourselves more things that we need to repent of okay so I, I can never be saved by my repentance because my repentance will never be a perfect repentance but nevertheless wherever there is saving faith if we're truly Christians there will always be faith and there will always be repentance now who's putting away the Christmas lights this morning you did a good job of putting them up they go, they go around all the bars there. I was admiring them. I, I assume they're Christmas lights. It, it might be that they're, they're there all year round. I don't know. Uh, but when you put them away, those of you who are very tidy people will consider how you will put them away. Because when I get the Christmas lights every year, I spend, well, the actual putting them up doesn't take very long. What takes a long time is untangling them from the mess I made when I put them away last year. And so you put all the lights together in one bag and you're you're trying to untangle one set of lights from another and then you manage to do that and then you have to, 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 to get them all out and they're still all tangled up. Repentance and faith are tangled up, if you like. But they are tangled up in such a way that it's impossible to untie them. Wherever there is faith, there will always be repentance and it's impossible to separate them. One of the ladies in our church last Sunday, she came up to me at the end of the sermon and she told me something. And I said, if if you'd been in my study last week and given me that, I could have used it this morning, but I can use it today, okay? She said, somebody once asked Spurgeon, a famous preacher of the 19th century, somebody once asked him, what's more important, faith or repentance? And his answer was this, according to, to Sheila Kelly in Hebron. His answer was this, what's more important? Breathing out or breathing in. Okay, he says, he says, don't untangle them. Let me give you these words from one, one theologian. Um, now, I appreciate theologians can be hard to listen to sometimes, but this is a, a well-known theologian, uh, John Murray. He writes this, It is impossible to disentangle faith and repentance. Saving faith is permeated with repentance. And repentance is permeated with faith let me read that again it's impossible to disentangle faith and repentance saving faith is permeated with repentance and repentance is permeated with faith okay so wherever you find a true believer someone who is really a christian you will find they are trusting in the lord jesus christ and you will see it that there will be repentance And when you find someone who is truly repentant, who is a Christian, you will also find if they're a believer, they they have saving faith. They know that they're wholly dependent on Jesus to save them on what he has done. Let me give you this as an illustration. When I was a teacher, I used to be a teacher in school, one of my colleagues was a long distance runner. He was very good. He ran for Wales. His His ambition was to qualify for the olympics for the marathon and he never did it he was um he was hindered by injury but i remember the year he was trying to qualify and this was his plan he was going to go to amsterdam to run in a marathon because what do you know about amsterdam it's very flat there aren't any hills okay so the best chance He had of qualifying for the olympics was going to that flat place that's where he would run as fast as time because to get in the olympics one thing was necessary you had to meet the qualifying time whatever that was there was a time to get in the olympics you have to get that time the one thing that matters is getting that time okay now we might say the one thing that matters for being a christian is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is the one thing that matters. However, sometimes I I met his friends. When he got married, I went on his stag do, and we went go-karting. And I, I, you know, there's not much of me, but uh, I I think I was the heaviest person in a go-kart because what I noticed about all of his friends was they all looked like him, like a long-distance runner, all skin and bone, not much weight to carry. And so although the one thing that mattered was getting that qualifying time, they all had very similar traits. They all ran every day. Okay, So training was very important to them. They all thought about their diet. I remember walking past his classroom once, and he was giving a lecture to um, a group of year nines. And uh, I remember hearing the words, what you put into your body affects what you get out of your body. He was lecturing them. there he was, an athlete lecturing them. He thought about his diet, what he ate. Now do you get the point I'm making? One thing mattered, getting the qualifying time. But in the lives of people who got that qualifying time, all of these other things would also be true. Their diets, their training regimes, all of these things would also be common features of their lives. And so it is with the true Christian. What matters is they know Jesus. But people who know the Lord Jesus Christ are repentant people. It's an element of true conversion. That those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ are those who are turning from their sin. There's something else that matters most. Are you turning from your sin? We have no comfort if we, if we give a particular sin shelter in our lives, if we harbor it, if we feed it, don't think you'll have any comfort of, of knowing that you're, you're really a Christian of any kind of true assurance. If we, if we keep and hold on to sin, uh, then, then I think the Lord will deny us that assurance. Uh, the Lord's people are those who turn away from sin. And repentance can be seen. So look at John's words. Look at what John said in his preaching. He said, verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on, verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If a tree bears fruit, you know it's a living tree. If a tree bears bad fruit or doesn't bear fruit at all, then cut it down. Get rid of it. Throw it into the fire. So true repentance is seen. Um, The tree shows it's alive by bearing fruit. If you have true saving faith in Jesus Christ, if you're really a Christian, the fruit of repentance will be seen In your life in what way might it be seen well we're given some examples in this passage verses 10 to 14 we read the crowds asked him what then shall we do and he answered them whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none and whoever has food is to do likewise so if you examine yourself and upon examination you find that you're selfish then repent of that selfishness and share of what you have. You knew your friend was in need, and yet you did nothing. Repent of that. Be a repentant person, and that repentance will be seen. Uh, Verse 12 goes on, tax collectors also came to be baptized, and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Verse 13, he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. So these greedy, uh, fraudulent tax collectors came along. They were told to collect this much by the Roman authorities, but they collected a bit more. They pocketed the rest. What does John say? What is repentance for you? It's stop stealing from people. Uh, be uh, be honest. Uh, Roman soldiers come to him. Perhaps these were, these were Jewish men who were serving as Roman soldiers. Soldiers, verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages Uh, roman soldiers they're using their clout Uh, i have a bit of power i've got a bit of authority because of my position and i'm going to use this position to get from people what i want john says stop doing that stop using your power your position to get what you want. Be content with what you have. Be content with your wages. Repentance is seen. Repentance is a living thing. It's a practical thing. Uh, When I I first went to Hebron, we had a a little midweek meeting where we were working through a particular catechism. And I arrived at the point where we were going through the Ten Commandments. And uh, you'll know the sense in which I mean this. They were the worst few weeks and months of my life. Because you come to the Ten Commandments, you open the law, you expound it, you, you, you get to the depths of what's required in the Lord of God. What did I discover? Oh, so much, so much I need to repent from. Uh, and that's what the Word of God does to us. It's a light to us, but it can light up the darkness of our lives. But when we discover the darkness, what are we to do? Where there is life, where there is true life, There will be repentance. We're not to be surprised that we discover sin. Uh, Paul teaches us this wonderful truth that we've died to sin. The sin is no longer our master. And yet, the presence of sin remains so long as we are in the body. Therefore, don't be surprised when you find sin, but do the right thing. That is with God's enabling, by God's grace, repent from it, root it out, battle against it. We are to be a repentant people, and a repentance is to be uh, seen, it's observed. Just look at verse 8 for a moment. The danger for many of John's listeners was this. Um, look at verse 8, he said, Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Okay, so there were people going out to listen to John, and they were thinking to themselves, we don't need this, why don't we need it? Well, because we're descendants of Abraham, we're Jews. Uh, We don't need John's message. John was baptizing people, and baptism was something uh, that usually happened to Gentiles who wanted to, to come into Judaism in some way. And so they would go through a water baptism. We don't need to be baptized. That's not for us. We are children of Abraham. Uh, John says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. It's a big theme, isn't it, of the New Testament epistles. People who put their confidence in the wrong thing. In Romans 2, uh, Paul writes, Romans 2 verse 13, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. There were people who were saying, we possess the Old Testament law. That's enough. That makes us right with God. It doesn't make you right with God. It simply reveals your sin. It's the doers of the law who are justified. And then others said, Romans two twenty-five: verse uh, for circumcision, Paul writes, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So there were Jews who were confident in their circumcision. We don't need to worry. Uh, we're right with God because we've been circumcised. Paul says it's of no value whatsoever if you're not a doer of the law. Uh, what you need, that was his big message at the beginning of that epistle, what you need, Jew or Gentile, what you need is Christ. What you need is, is faith in him. What you need is not simply to be Abraham's descendant, but to know Abraham's faith. Abraham believed. You too need to believe. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now I don't think, well, I don't know you, but I don't think we have any Jews here this morning. We might. Uh, but we can make similar mistakes in our thinking. Uh, we can think that I'm okay. Why am I okay? I'm right with God because, because in 1988, <coughs> I was at a meeting, and uh, at the end of that meeting, I prayed, and uh, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm okay. I'm right with God. Uh, we're to be people who, who examine ourselves, who consider, okay, if I have true faith, then I must be a person um, who is repentant. Uh, that when I see sin, when I'm confronted by sin, uh, that I turn from it. Uh, That I take it to the Lord. That I commit myself to him again. Yes, I'm only saved by Christ. But is there that evidence? Is there that fruit um, in keeping with repentance? Well, there are two things that uh, happen next to John. or sorry, two things from what happened next to John that fit under that heading of what matters most. The word of God. Is that your priority? To read it, to put yourself under it, And then secondly, repentance. Are you daily turning from your sin in your walk with the Lord?